Okay. Today we have a very special guest speaker. He's a good, long-time friend of mine. I've had the, the privilege of being overseas with Dale um, and seeing his work firsthand. Um, he's a world traveler. Not that that means anything other than the Lord has expanded his ministry quite a bit. And to be able to see the influence that he has, uh, this guy was preaching to ex-Muslim pastors, teaching them how to share Christ, how to uh, grow the kingdom of God before 9-11 ever happened, and um, been there with him, and it's absolutely amazing to see the guys that walk for days to come to the conferences that he's able to put on and do, and uh, the influence that he has in the churches around the world, just absolutely amazing. In fact, I was sitting in a hotel on the Black Sea, I could hear it, but it was so foggy out, it was in January, never got to actually see the Black Sea, it was just right outside <laughs> the window there. But I was sitting in that cold, dank hotel room, and that's where the Lord began to plant a seed in me to plant a church, to start a church, and that's why we're here today. Uh, so Dale has had a lot of influence in my life, and I'm grateful for him. Um, his ministry uses a lot of humanitarian relief funds to bring influence into communities from the churches. Uh, they deliver wheelchairs, and our church has bought wheelchairs for them before. Isn't that exciting? It is. They take them, and they deliver them, and they gain influence in the community, and people come to see Jesus, right? And uh, so we're so grateful for Dale to be with us today. And um, give him a warm welcome. He's a good friend of mine. God bless you, Dale. Come on and share. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Well, good morning, everybody. I must confess to you, I, I feel a bit like family here. So is that all right? That just means I want to talk plainly. And uh, <clears throat> I came up to see John and, uh, and to uh, visit in this service today. And, uh, you know, one of the things that happens in the Eaton family is they like fish. They like to catch fish. And yesterday they took me fishing, which I also very much enjoy. And how many fish did you catch? Uh, well, uh, I want to speak about the apostles of Jesus were out all night with the Son of God in the boat and got a big nada until he said... Go on the other side. We never found the other side. <laughs> so <laughs> you do the math. We, didn't we went to the other side, but the fish moved. They were going in reverse. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but we had a good time anyway. How many ever had something similar happen? It didn't quite meet your expectations. Not quite, not quite. But we had fun anyway. We, we really did. Well, bless you today. Uh, I'm so happy driving up here because I know the history from the beginning uh, of this church, and uh, this is the best, <laughs> to have this chapel on this fine road, and uh, some of you are new to me, well, hello, I'm a visitor too, so don't, don't gauge today by me, you know, I'm, I'm looking around to check who has vegetables in your purse, you may be hurling them before this is done, come next week, are you preaching next week, okay, that, the, the normal will be on next week, today may be bizarre, but next week will be will we'll be normal. Yeah, just, uh, I don't want to take the time uh, now to, to, to do a whole thing on mission, but thank you for your support month by month. 
uh, not only me, but there's things way beyond me as well that you support. But uh, it just happens that some of our strategic alliances overseas are in Moldova, Poland, Rome, Romania, and, and even Ukraine. And guess where there's some huge needs in the world right now? Huge. And uh, in fact, the bishop that the pastor also knows was uh, my house guest, first of March, and then in our church. And it was just in front of all of this started, maybe it was the end of February, uh, just a few days before all of this mess started. And um, when we began with him, there were 10 churches in Moldova of our kind. Today, we passed 420, 20 more under construction right now, plus a Bible school, plus a senior citizen's ministry, plus a college ministry, plus a Christian university, plus the Christian farming co-op. So somebody say amen. When you're investing, the Bible calls money seed. And guess what we expect from seed? Multiplication. It's amazing what's happened there. And they have looked after thousands and thousands. Moldova's a little country, three and a half million people. They've had almost a million Ukrainians come into that little country. And because of all these churches, they were ready. And uh, I just heard this last week. Uh, it costs about $15 a day U.S. to look after one refugee because who's coming is the elderly and women with families. The men are fighting war. So, but that's who's coming, and many of them need medical treatment. Treatment. They need a lot of respiratory work, and there's a lot of psychological stuff. So the net cost to look after average one person, and at the moment, right now, they have 995 people living in their churches and in their facilities. So you do the math. That's $15,000 a day. That would be $450,000 a month just to look after your guests. I mean, it's a little financial pressure on that. We're complaining about $5 gas. Oh, I'm complaining too. Don't worry. I mean, I believe in serving a holy God, but... I ask him to give me a couple flesh moments so I can gripe and then go back to being grateful. <laughs> but uh, $8 gas has been normal across a lot of the world long before this mess started. So us at five, it's bad on our, all of us, but it's not as bad as. At least we have access. And, and, and so that's what they're into. There's no complaint. Just people come, they look after them. And then I've had John at this place as well. Uh, Becky Walsh's outpost in, in Bucharest, Romania, called Casa Shalom. It was for many years a place of rescuing girls from the street that had been uh, kidnapped and prostituted. Now it's shifted to a much broader ministry. They have already seen hundreds of refugees come and go. And among that mix was 300 families that were Jewish and she has a connection somehow. I don't know what this is. I'll be over there in a few months. I'll find out. But she has a, a, a way to receive, plenty of facilities to receive about 100 at a time. But how many know the clock starts ticking on the cost and expense and personnel and all of that to look after them. But then turn them around. Get, they've sent people to Spain. And the last family went Friday morning. And uh, uh, they went to Ireland, a family of five. And the husband, when the war ends, who's alive, will also join them. But they've looked after these 300 families. A few are still to come through. They process them, get all their documents fixed in Romania, get their health needs looked after, and then they're transported on to Israel. I don't think we can even imagine the level of what it takes to make this happen. It means if you have a, a three-bedroom house, you'd have two families living with you on top of you living. 
and you don't know when they're going to come or you don't know when they're going to go. And they come with the clothes on their back. That's it. And maybe sick. And maybe with grandma and grandpa with them. So, and they have no place to go unless the people. And guess who's rising up? It's the people of God. Matter of fact, the government of Moldova said to Bishop Pavlovsky, send your people to the border because we know they'll fairly treat the people that are coming. Send your people there. Go there. And so they had mattresses. They had doctors. In fact, a very good friend of mine is a, is a doctor that was there serving. He and his wife were both medical doctors. And so you're doing good. Every month you send, you help. And another place in Moldova, a little place called Paku. I think the population is 800. Uh, it's not a big place. It's right on the Romanian border. You, I mean, you go through the border post, and at about six blocks, you're, you're in the center of town. Uh, it's not a town. It's a little place. And um, wonderful single lady there, Tamara uh, Bukhara. I met her when she transla our translator ran out of gas and couldn't talk halfway through my sermon. How could she be so offensive to get laryngitis in the middle of what I was saying? And when a man of God's talking, you ought to be up to it. And uh, so Tamara put her through, well, I'll translate. And she got up, and we, we finished together. And she has just built, with the help of lots of people, and you're one of them, a beautiful facility. And uh, one block to the north from her facility is the pathway out of all the stands and out of the Slavic republics. It's the road for girls to be trafficked into Europe. Once they cross the Romanian border, all the European laws affect them, and they can travel all over without passports and all of that. That's not two blocks from where this place is. Well, there's a stop sign at her door. You don't have to go there. You can come here. If you go there, you're going to die. If you come here, you're going to live. And uh, there's job program. There's computer skills training. There's farming. And, and you helped build that place. And I wish I had a current. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. So you're part of something much bigger than this. And it's life-saving and it's soul-saving. Good time to say amen. amen. So I'm not here for myself. If we receive any money, I'm not presuming because no one's told me up or down. But it's not for me. But by the grace of God, I don't need to live on offerings. I did for a lot of years. I don't now by the grace of God. So what we get, we give. I love it. I just love it. So in the last six weeks, I know we've crossed $33,000 we've already sent. And so if you want to help with that, that sure be worthy. And all we do is turn it around, put it in the bank, and get it on the wires. As soon as it clears, we get it on the wires and get it where it has to go. I'm a happy camper because we're helping people. And even 100 bucks makes a huge difference, a huge difference to somebody somewhere. So I have to say thank you before I do anything else. So thank you in Jesus' name for your generosity. You're making life happen for a lot of folks that you won't see until we're on the other side of this. But how many know if it was us, wouldn't you be glad somebody somewhere had a heart to help somebody beyond their own needs? Wouldn't you be glad about that? So it's just absolutely wonderful. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Shouldn't be looking at me. Do you have a Bible? Sunday morning. Bible. God. Jesus. Church. Pray. Be healed. All of that. Get saved. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, as I was praying about what to say this morning, I just felt like my assignment today was to deal with this portion that's about the Lord's table. And when we were talking about this, I was sharing with Pastor, and he said, hey, we, we didn't have communion last Sunday. 
would you like this to happen? I said, well, here's what I feel to share. I mean, the Lord might be behind all of this. I just love it when, I, when arrangements are made like that in heaven, and we finally go, bong. We're standing and so we're having a moment, and God likes it. It's the moment he wants. So my heart's already happy, and I'm anxious to hear what I'm going to say about this. Because uh, <laughs> some, some of this is new to me, too. All right? I don't, I don't mean these verses. I've read through the Bible a whole lot of times. But one of the miracles of the Bible is it continues to speak. I heard a man preach in a camp meeting years ago for two hours. The sermon was two hours long on the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him, Jesus, bodily. So the definition of Jesus is God living in the body. That's what he preached on for two hours. Now, I was his host. I wasn't the coordinator of the meeting, but I was assigned to look after him. So this was in Southern California, and for lunch he wanted to go on the Queen Mary because he had sailed on the Queen Mary as a child, and as you know, it's positioned in Long Beach, California. So I took him there, and while we're having lunch, I said, you know, I've got one question about that sermon. I did not say it was so long I could have retired and had three birthdays. So it's, 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 you know, we, did, we didn't do that. Because my kids used to think I preached the everlasting gospel every Sunday. But it wasn't that. And I said, where did you get all that information? Because he wasn't just storyteller. He was preaching from the word. Out of that verse, two hours. <laughs> he had one of them gravelly old-time evangelist voice. He said, boy, I waited on it. Waited on it. What, fill that in. What, what does that mean? He said, I read that verse every day for two years and didn't leave it for an hour. One hour every day for two years. What you heard was the fruit of waiting. You don't get this stuff by just reading. You have to think about what's there and meditate. How many know New Agers of ambushed? but that's a God idea that what we read we ought to think about? Hmm? And there's only two things in the Bible the Lord ordered us by way of ordinance, by way of law, to continue to practice going forward from his ascension. One is this. We celebrate the Lord's table. The other is baptism. You're in 100% agreement this month (laughs) with what Jesus said to continue to do. So let's pray. Lord, your word is a lamp and a light. It's bread and wine to our souls. We pray today that we'll do more than hear And we together give you permission to invade the deepest parts of us because when your word is in our heart, it adjusts our behavior. It feeds our faith. It enlarges our vision of who you are. So we pray today around this old, old ceremony that you planned and you practiced. We'll come to a fresh moment and be touched by the living God and go out of here improved from the way we came in. Because in some wonderful way, we've been touched by Jesus. We pray that in your name and the church could say. 1 Corinthians 11, let's begin at verse 23. For I received 11.23, I'm sorry, yes, 11.23, 1 Corinthians. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that which the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. That's the setting, looking back to that moment. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and uh, said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
I'm blessed to be able to go to Greece once or twice a year. And uh, I never say there, the Greek says. They know for three and a half thousand years what it says. And they're experts in language. So I, I don't try to advise them of what they know so very well. We set up with five major leaders in the country all night discussing this section of scripture a few months ago. And I said, what about this word remembrance? And they just kind of gave me a blank stare. I said, did I curse or what? Did I say something? <laughs> no, but our understanding is very different than how English reads this. English puts it out as there's a point of, of memory that you should rehearse periodically based on the English text. But in Greek, it means when God says remembrance, he means I'm present. When you remember what he did, he becomes present in that moment. So it's the stronger, because how many know the problem with translation is if you speak any other language in addition to English, no language translates equal across to the other language. How many are aware of that? It, it just doesn't. You need more words or less words or different kinds of words to explain. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus had a wonderful uh, accommodation around the issue of bread. It's worthy of a study all the way through the New Testament. Everybody knows about the mark of the beast. Well, Jesus also bought the mark of the feast. Hmm? He did. Even the place of his birth has bread in it. Beth, house, lechem, bread. The house of bread is where he was born. On the end day of a great feast, he said off the ramparts of the city to a Jewish audience, I am that bread that comes down from heaven. You're a Jew, you got it. Moses, all the feeding system, they understood immediately what he was doing. He was the one who fed them in the wilderness. His name just wasn't hooked to it. Now, I don't know what manna was because in the Hebrew language, manach, means what is it? It's an interrogative. It's a question. But how many know language changes with usage? Amen. It changes with usage. Uh, you're not agreeing yet. You know, I come from a church that has, it's a multi-ethnic congregation, but they still say amen. Now, get, o get over this stuff. Of saying, that boy's talking Hebrew here. My God. Well, I'm a charismatic. Translate it. I mean, it, you, you get out there. But it's okay to say, mm, or do so. Hindus even do that. So come on, the born-again people. If you're glad you're even knowing Jesus, you could say amen. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Manah, which means what is it? The first time the man of God saw that, that's what he said. Manah, because he didn't know what it was. I think it was coconut Twinkies. Can I get a witness for coconut? <laughs> but at this dinner that we call the Last Supper, he took bread, and he's referring to that moment. Please remember this, because it's a symbol of my broken body. An amazing contact with bread. On two occasions, one time 5,000, next time 4,000 people it's been very interesting to me reading through the scripture that Jesus did not pray that the bread would be multiplied. My wife and I have one daughter and, four, and three sons. We sometimes prayed the pantry would be multiplied. 
How many understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Boys can eat five pounds of beef on a single plate. In an hour, they're back in saying, I'm hungry. <laughs> what is the matter with it? They have tapeworms 19 feet long. I, I, it, you're feeding two or three. If I knew they could get pregnant, I'd believe it went there. But it just... Jesus did not pray that the bread would be multiplied in either place. He didn't. What he did was go into praise. Father, I thank you that you hear me. And the bread started growing. You know how to get gate, heaven's gates open? Stop begging, start praising. John 9.21, I'm going to fill in a couple words here. We know that God does not hear sinners, parentheses, unless they're repenting. Put that in there, because that's true. But if anyone becomes a worshiper of him and does his will, God will hear him. So we have a little song about that. I'll enter his gates with my complaints and my laundry list of needs. Is that what the Bible reads? Come on, give it to me. I'll enter his gates with and his courts. That's it. You want to get the ear of God? Start praising God. I heard Bishop Jakes preach a few weeks ago at Lakewood Church in Houston, where I live. You know, the man's learning how to preach. He's, 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 if he ever really gets the skill set, he'll probably tear the whole world up. <clears throat> he talks about crazy praise. That's what I'm talking about. Now, if you're a little sophisticated evangelical locked up in the Bible, I've got to have a verse for it, you'll never enjoy just being crazy in praise. But sometimes you may have to get in the shower and get soaked up and good and wet, and all of a sudden you want to sing. And there's no one watching, thank God, because the coyotes would howl. But <laughs> you, you are willing to violate the tile and the water and whoever may stra you know, stagger into your house, and you're singing at the top of your lungs. That's what I'm talking about. Your heart is so full Praise really comes from the overflow, not just the average. I'll just leave that with you. And in the same way, verse 25, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this is the cup in the new covenant. Now we're talking about blood. In my blood, do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. As often as you drink this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now here's some heavy stuff in here. Listen to this. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner, if you mark in your Bible, put a circle around that word, because the core of this whole discussion is the worth of Jesus, the high value of the physical work Jesus did to provide salvation for us. If you eat and drink in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. We take on something that we may not see, but it's heavy, and it's spiritual, and it's powerful. Why were these people called unworthy? Because the elders at Corinth were eating all the emblems off the table and getting drunk on the wine that was there, and what was left over should have been distributed to the poor. Oh, no, the good old boys are eating everything on the table. I've had some visitors like that in my house a time or two. But I'm talking about God's work. And imagine how that looked in heaven when people called by his name are acting in such a careless, reckless way. How many of you know getting drunk at the Lord's table and eating all the bread because you didn't eat at home 
is a reckless disregard for what Jesus has just talked about. Hmm? You can say, you can look at me and nod or do something. But how many, that's a reckless disregard. You're, you're reducing to nothing, to just eating because you're hungry and drinking to excess when Jesus is describing the ultimate price he paid. So we can sit in this room today and say, we're saved. We've sung about it. He's worthy because he's the only one that can redeem us. Old timers in my culture used to sing, I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, he died upon the cross. I know it was his blood for me. A lot of other verses. The blood came trickling down and on and on and on. Jesus did all of that, and these guys are getting drunk and having an early lunch because they forgot breakfast. Jesus said, when you do that, you're guilty of the very things I've come to redeem you from. I'm not pointing my finger at you. I'm just bearing the point that there's a reason this verse is in here, and it's so pointed. How many know that's not a careless, happy-clappy verse? That's a serious verse. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I want to deal with one thing that's an aside, but it's critical. There's lots of people in the body of Christ, lots of them, that refuse the Lord's table because they have declared themselves guilty of something that has offended God. They've lied, they've cussed, they've lusted. Something's happened. They killed 14 guardian angels trying to get to church on time. They've lied about a neighbor. They've done something. And so when this serious moment comes and the seriousness of it and the value of it comes over the house, I better not go there because this verse says you better look at yourself. Well, let's just look at the roster of who was at this table. Let's start with Judas. Would you have invited him? Jesus did, knowing he was going to betray him. And by the way, speaking of betrayal, Peter was at the table. Next day, what happened with Peter? And right here in this context of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, when I, come, I, I know there's factions among you, and I believe it. What was the factions? I'm of Apollos. I'm of this, I'm of that. And the real religious people said, well, I'm of the Jesus Club, so <laughs> we're trumping everybody. We're up there with J.C., and it was arrogance and polarizing around personalities, more disregard for what Jesus has done. I mean, oh, Peter didn't save anybody. Hmm? Apollos didn't save anybody. There's only one mediator between God and man, and his name is? That's it, that's it. So the very fact of your presence in this room today, doing what we do here, sing and pray and study and care for one another, qualifies you to come to the Lord's table. He's saying, come with whatever you've got, come. Because your coming is your demonstration. I value that only Jesus can redeem me from whatever these issues are. And there's a fourth kind of person in here, we're going to get to it in the next couple of verses, who just doesn't have an understanding of how the body of Christ works. I'm glad we're in Texas because I can use the Texas word. I'm trying to become a Texan, so help me. How many know in this chapter are two bodies? One is the physical body of Jesus. Is there agreement on that? Hmm? The second body is y'all. 
small b, meaning usums. What kind of word is usums? Or y'alls with an s on there. I mean, it means us. It means us. So what Jesus did is described here in the bread and wine context. But there's something else going on because all truth runs in parallels. Paul is concerned about us, how we are functioning towards one another under the mantle of what Jesus has done. How many got that? How many agree that's, in the ver- that's, that's what's in here? Is us and the physical body of Jesus. Okay, let's read a little more. For he who, verse 29, he who eats and drinks and eats, he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Put a circle around judgment and judge because it's two different words in the original language. And let me read it again and give you the meanings. He who eats and drinks, eats and drinks penalty to himself. I mean, if we say someone's going to judgment, they're in front of the judge, they're going to get their penalty, that's their judgment. Murder, life, going to get it. That, we call that judgment, penalty. Hmm? Come on, is that right? They're going to get the penalty, do the, do the crime, get the time, or do the time, and whatever that is. They're going to go to jail for a gross crime. So that's the first word, means to be penalized. He who eats and drinks and unworthily as above, brings judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Second word judge means to see in right relationships. When this beautiful chapel was built, some contractors or builders came and they had transits or they had some kind of measuring devices to measure. Is the place square? You don't put the timber up to you're sure the slab is square or whatever's underneath here, and where to put windows, and there's all kinds of measuring devices, and how do we measure seating? How do we measure where this, we've got to see it in relationship to everything else in the room. That's what that word means. It means to see in proper relationship as a thing really is. As a thing really is. Some of the progressive people today, not just talking politics, but the whole philosophical idea of progressiveness, is to not call things what they really are. Have you noticed that? Change the name. Call it something else. Well, the Bible calls it as it is. And what is reality? The way a thing really is. So God says here, he's going to get judgment. He's going to get penalized if he does not judge the body rightly. Now look at this next verse. For this reason, and what's the antecedent? What's the thing that reason refers to? It's the verse above. Not judging the body of Christ, not seeing it as it is and how it functions. For this reason, many are weak and sick and a number asleep. A nice biblical way of saying they're dead. Now listen to the seriousness of that. Because we don't see clearly as the people of God, some of us are weak and sick, and some have already gone on to glory. Now, let's read a little more. It's everybody still okay? We don't have any fish to give you, so you, there's no healing for that. <laughs> I wish Jesus said, turn the other side yesterday, but he didn't. If we judged ourselves rightly, that's that word for penalty again. It's another form of the word judgment that's above. We would not be judged. Penalized. I'm sorry, to see in right relationship, the second word, judged, 
is the same thing again. To be, we wouldn't be penalized. What's our penalty? Weakness, sickness, and for some, a premature death. But when we are judged, we're disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. Imagine what's being said here. Staggering when you think of it. Do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because there's life, there's healing. I didn't add anything to this. I've just explained in a quick way what these verses mean and what they say. What they say is, if we lack an understanding of how the, A, the value of what Jesus did, how many knows another old song that Jesus paid it all? Not some, but he paid it all. All to him I owe. Not some. All he wants is you. Not just a part, but all of your heart. All he wants is you. So that's the Jesus side. But on the human side, he's trying to demonstrate how we can beneficially affect one another by understanding how the body of Christ works. And there's a great promise in it. Uh, go with me with this. Everybody in the room that's an adult should know it. Our Father, come on, who art... Thy will... Stop right there. Give us this day, Matthew 6, our daily bread. Hmm? They say that? Well, in the context, it doesn't look like he means another crust on the table. They're, 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 they're asking to have their physical needs cared for, the need for food. But if you know God at all, you know that I, I hear David talking to me. I've been young now, I'm old, but I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. How do you like that verse? Mark Buntain, great missionary to Calcutta, India, spent his whole life there, sat across the table from me at a conference in Reno, Nevada. I was also hosting him that particular day. And uh, I said, Mark, what, the, what is the biggest, where 3,000 people born on the street and die on the street every day. We have trash patrols in nice neighborhoods like you see around here. In Calcutta, they have a body patrol. It does nothing but pick up the dead. Mean average, 3,000 people a day. And out to the side of town, and they go on the big fire. The bodies are burned. So in that environment, I said, tell me the greatest miracle you've seen after 35 years in Calcutta. With all the mayhem and death and disease and poverty and all the wretched stuff, he looked across at me and he said, Brother Dale, I'm telling you the greatest miracle I've ever seen is this. I have not seen in 35 years one follower of Jesus ever starve to death. Not one. I mean, think that might be a miracle when 3,000 people die of starvation every single night. I've not seen what, why? Because when David said it, you know, he said it about his own life, but how many of those are forecast in that? To, that we can put our faith on it and believe God going forward. What if the economy fails? Our real economy doesn't belong in Washington or Sacramento or Austin. It's some, we have an economy inside an economy. If the natural means run out, how many reckon God's able to provide supernatural means to look after it? There's stories like that coming out of this war thing. So it's been amazing, some of the, some of the just absolutely amazing. Okay? Give us this day our daily bread. 
The oldest manuscripts that record that prayer are not in Hebrew or Aramaic. They're actually in ancient Arabic. As you know, Arabic and Bengali are the oldest written and spoken languages in the world. Arabic and Bengali, or Sanskrit. And the ancient Arabic, the ancient Arabic translates that part. Where did we stop at? And give us this day our. We stop there. In Arabic, it reads like this. The earliest manuscript says, and give us today tomorrow's bread. So not only is this exercise looking backwards to remember, it's forecasting forward about a day that God's planned. So let me, let me take you to Revelation 1. I'm just pausing for a moment because I'm enjoying this. I mean, I love, I love teaching the Bible. Is this helping anybody yet? We're just plodding through. Revelation 1.4, the Bible says, last half, the Lord God Almighty, who was, what tense is that? Who is and who will be? Revelation 4.8 says the same thing. Lord God Almighty, or is holy, 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 who was or who is and was, it's just turned in order, but it's the same verse, who is, was, and who is to come. Now, it sounds like that is to come is talking about the future. But it's not talking about the future only in a secondary way, even though in English it looks like it. Uh, sometimes with the Greek language, the context sets the meaning. And other times, the grammar only sets the meaning. And you just have to sort out which way. Where, did you, where do you get the meaning out of this verse? Where it's set? or in the grammar. Either way is right, as long as you get the meaning. And the meaning is this. Give us, the Arab, Arabic had it right. Give us tomorrow's bread. I mean, that's a forward-looking request. That's for something to come. And he is the one that is to come. No, in plain language, a little bit about grammar. This is a present perfect in Greek. Usually, perfect works with something that starts way back here, like John 16 says about the devil. The prince of this world has been judged with an ED. Well, what is that? That's speaking backwards, isn't it? Somewhere back here, how many think of the cross and the ascension of Jesus, resurrection of Jesus? Hmm? How many are thinking at all yet? How many think it's back here someplace? has been judged. And why in the world? Sometimes people are excited about praying, you know. Ah, we get up every morning, we just tear down strongholds for an hour. You do really. Would you give me a verse of approval for that? When the Bible says, don't bring Raelian accusations against angels. And demons are fallen parts of angels. We don't have authority there. Guess where we have entered? The throne of the Father. I mean, no, that's much more fun and realistic than trying to chase a devil somewhere. Furthermore, I don't want demon parts on the hood of my nice car parked out there. <laughs> my prayer is Isaiah's. Oh, Lord, rend the heavens. and I want righteousness to fall on the land, not demon parts. Why are we engrossed at all with the work of the devil? Is he real? Yes, he is. Does he cause a lot of nasty stuff? Yes, he does. Why be preoccupied with him when the only redemption is in the name of Jesus? And that redemption is complete, and it is real. Hmm? So... The prince of this world is, I'm not going to kick a sleeping dog. Let him, 
He has a very warm, it's hotter than Dallas in August, glory to God, where he's headed. Hmm? This is a present perfect, which means in the present tense, God, just because he's gracious, is going to call things he's planned for our future into this moment to increase his kingdom authority in us and through us. He's not just great, he's on scene. How many know that uh, I think one of the things that's kept my own heart and mind steady during these crazy days we live in is this. The Bible declares repeatedly, God is always watching and always reaching. Always watching, always reaching. I mean, a little lady became a concubine of one of the famous men of the Old Testament and was kicked out with her child and was out in the desert. And who showed up was not her lover, but God showed up. And he whispered to her and said, concubine, I've got good news. God's watching. I'm watching. I've seen your journey to the desert. I've seen it. Well, if I was in certain church, I'd say my help is just about coming now. Feel the Holy Ghost rising up, but I'll be calm here. Try to be calm. Glory to God. Is there anything in you that every once in a while just wants to holler real big? Jesus, you're good. <laughs> yes, you are. Which means not only have you washed my sins away as our brothers beautifully led us in these songs today, washed our sins away. God has a short memory. What causes it? Blood, death, resurrection. Our sins are as far away as the depths of the sea has a long way. He remembers our sins against us no more. And then, to add to the party, he calls from tomorrow's providential warehouse kingdom joy and power and blessing of every kind and plants that in our life today. Give us tomorrow's bread. I want to say, come on, Holy Ghost, come on, angels, and bring from the storehouse on the other side what's going to turn our lives upside down today. You can say amen to that one. Even if you don't want to pray for yourself, say, Lord, bless my neighbor. They may not deserve it, but I need to pray about something, so pray for them. Jeremiah got it in the middle of all of his brokenness and weeping. <laughs> he had one morning when he said, well, here's something good about God. Every morning I see brand new mercy. That's it. That's it. Some days we need mercy because we've practiced stupidity the day before. You know, in the world there's Italians and Greek people and Hispanic and Albanians, and then there's another tribe called stupid people. They just, they're excellent at doing stupid stuff. How I many you know Paul said to the Ephesians, we need to be forgiving, I-N-G, a continual, because how many know you've done something and so have I? That qualifies for not being good sense at all spiritually based on what we read here in this text. Hmm? Well, let me finish with this because I can tell you're enthusiastic. Weak and sick, some are asleep, not judging. 
the Lord's body, not seen right. The last church listed in Revelation is which one? Somebody know? Say it. Laodicea. What was the problem in Laodicea? Can't see. There's a big eye hospital there, ancient days. And there were water wells that started cold, but they were lukewarm when they got to town. God used that as a teaching point for them. Don't be like that. One of the great revivals of the last century happened in Florida, went on for five years. One local church had more than five million visitors, and over half a million people received Christ as Savior. I went several times personally, and I got up at 4.30 in the morning and drove down to the church and saw people in line for three city blocks waiting to get into a building that didn't open until 6 o'clock at night in Florida heat. How many think there's not a church in Dallas that's got that going on right now? As wonderful as many of the churches around town are. There's hardly any church in America that's got a line in summer heat standing there waiting to get in the meeting doesn't open. It was a God moment. Now let me tell you part of the backstory. The young evangelist went to that church for a Sunday service. He preached. Repentance fell on the church and they were in the morning service until 2.30 in the afternoon. Seven o'clock evening service in that location at the time lasted until one o'clock in the morning. And for the next five years, there were services. People came from all over the world. After three weeks, two deacons, I have stayed in both of their homes. These are not evil guys. I'd be wrong to tell you that. Very wrong, because it's not true. They're not evil men. They came to pastor, and they said, we don't think this is God. May have started out that way, but we think this young man's going to run off with this church. And you need to stop this sooner rather than later. It's gotten too much. He's too popular already, and so and so and so. And wisely, the pastor said, well, it looks like God. And for years, we've had a prayer meeting which grew to 400 adults on Saturday night, asking God to do something in the city. And how many of you know when Peter gets at the gate, you ought to say, come on in here. Not, well, let's go continue to pray. What you prayed for is at the gate. Didn't they do that in the New Testament? Can't be right. We haven't prayed seven more years. We've got to pray some more. We have to yell at heaven and get something done here. But he, the man's knocking on the door. God's already answered. So that was the pastor's mind, but he said, look, let's meet two weeks tonight, and meanwhile, I want you to pray and I'll pray. Two weeks later, the meeting was held on a Wednesday night. And the deacon said, well, pastor, what say you? And he said, well, gentlemen, here is the real numbers about what's happened in the services, Wednesday through Sunday, for two weeks, since we talked two weeks ago. 3,100 and some people have either come back to the Lord or been saved in this church. In this church. To say nothing of what happened outside. And I reckon the devil has never saved anybody yet. So it's probably the work of Jesus. And in the first 50 years of this church, you've never had a year when 3,000 people got saved. Say nothing of two weeks. 
and visitors already from 70 or 80 countries, and we're not advertising. People here, and they're coming, and they're still standing in line out there. I'm a witness. I'm a witness to those early hours. They had to put phone banks out there and porta potties and build a shed to keep people out of the sun, and they stood there all day, all day, or chairs and, and sat down, wait all day. And about 70% of all those people in line were not born-again believers. How many think that might be the Lord? By the way, if you pray for revival, if that's what's in your heart, be careful that you've appraised the whole of the situation because not everybody's going to be happy. Read what happened in Acts. Some mocked him. Some laughed. Some were confused, scratching their heads. What does this mean? Because it never happened before. That's the kind of revival I want to see. The one that hasn't happened yet. Okay. Brand new. Let God do something fresh. And then God give us enough sense to see it and agree with you as you were. Because it probably will grind my flesh up. Not necessarily going to make me happy. Probably going to challenge me to be a better man of God. Not probably. It will. Gentlemen, 3,100 and some people have been saved in two weeks. I can't give the devil credit for that many salvations. So we're continuing on. We're going on. They both had prepared letters. They pulled out resignations and laid it on the pastor's desk. By the way, both of those men were on the pastoral search committee when six or seven years before they invited this gentleman to be the pastor of that church. And to this day, to my knowledge, they still cannot agree that that was God. What's their problem? They're full of the devil? No, they can't see. It means God's people have the ability by choice to remain blinded. And for that reason, there's sickness, weakness, and some are dead. It's not God's fault. It's we refuse to see things as they really are. Now let me just bring it home. There's somebody or bodies, and God gives gifts to churches. And he puts them in human beings. So somebody in this church or more than one somebody, has got faith when people are sick just to pray a simple prayer. They know they're not Oral Roberts and no oil doesn't drip off their hands. They have to buy a bottle of double virgin, double purified, super sanctified, and baptized in Jesus' name. Oil and get it on you. But they have faith. Their faith rises up when someone's ill and needs a prayer. Someone has a word of wisdom. I grew up in a church with, years ago as a child very, very gifted people. Wonderful. One of our elders, I have his permission. Well, he's passed now, but I still have it, the permission. Named George, electrical contractor, 600 employees, alcoholic. His wife, out of desperation, started coming to our church, got saved, touched by God. Whole life was changed. She was an alcoholic, but she drank heavy. George, alcoholic, and mean, cuss, cuss, cuss. And his company was putting an electrical system in a new high school. I mean, no, that's commercial level service. And the basement, because this is Michigan, the basement was full of water five feet. He went down there to examine some work, and somebody turned the power on, 4,800 volts. How many know he should have been barbecued in 30 seconds? But an open line fell out of the circuit it was in on top of the water and danced. It didn't go straight. It danced. And he knew God had preserved his life, climbed out of that basement, soaking wet, got in his, his truck, came to our church, 
and kicked the pastor's door down and threw himself on the floor and repented. And thank God that life was still in his bones. In a few years, he became an elder, in our, a deacon in our church. Not an elder, became a deacon in our church. As rough as he was, now when he talked about Jesus, he had weep. We're talking about a guy six foot four and about 340, 350. Big guy. He sh- if he shook your hand, your whole body went. <laughs> he did the oil pump with it. He's just a big guy. But he became gentle. How many know that's what Jesus does to people? Whatever you were, you ain't that no more. So I was a college kid in those years, in college when I was 16, and I was determined I was going to make my way through university. My parents would have gladly paid, gladly, I got lots of scholarships, but I'm just where I need some money. Because in the process of university, a couple of blondes and a brunette came into my life, and you know, that requires some, some things. You have to feed those people before they're happy. So you. I'm standing in the back of our church because we had a railing there about this high, but you could see out over the place. And here comes Deacon George, puts his hand on my shoulder. So I... The next day, I have to enroll. I have $1 in my pocket. Here's what I'm talking about in the body. And he said, are you still going to university? I said, I am. Isn't it getting about time? Yes, sir. Actually, tomorrow I have to register. He said, does that mean you have to pay? I said, that's what it means. Well, how's your finances? A standard religious answer. I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. (laughs) What a ridiculous statement. When I'm broke... You see, you'll take the lion if you don't get real with God. You have to lie to yourself to stand it. I had one dollar in my pocket. If I had a deep that night, I'd have to say, can we have one quarter of one slice of pizza? How much is that? That 25 cents, that's what I want. And she can eat it. (laughs) One dollar. I didn't even have enough gas in my car to get out to the campus, which is 30 miles from my house. But I said my religious answer, you know, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord, it's going to be good. He said, boy, I didn't ask you your opinion. I asked you about your money and about that tone. Now, you're standing next to Goliath, you better answer. And I said, sir, I'm honestly trusting the Lord. He said, well, I guess I'm the Lord. He put out his checkbook, he said, fill it out, boy. I said, you mean, how, how much? He said, how much is your tuition? I said, it's $3,545.12. That's about the right amount. Fill it out, and I'll sign it. Now, he was a multimillionaire, but that's not the point. See, he was in the body, and so was I. I had the need, and he had the answer. Now, I didn't love him because he had money. I knew he was a wealthy guy. He did some business with our family. I, I knew that. But he was not obligated at all, humanly speaking, to pay anything for me. I had a family that could have paid it. He didn't care. He'd heard from God. And part of his ministry was blessing people, never advertised. He never heard anything about it from him. He just went and took care of it. How many think God can honor a man like that? You see, who's in the body? 
I was youth director for 550 churches in California for six, almost seven years. 19,000 young people. It's a lot of work. And we got to a place where uh, there were very few decisions, to be fair with those who worked with me and above me, that decisions we couldn't make. They, they were very, very open with, lead. I mean, I'd submit plans and so on, but uh, I was working with a wonderful group of faith-filled elders above me. But something had come up internally that we had to have an answer from the Lord. Humanly speaking, there was no solution to this matter. We just had to hear God say something about what to do. It was right at our convention time. Our conventions drew about five to 6,000 people. We had the best known speakers you've ever heard of. Whoever was on the national scene, that's who we had. And music, the top of the line, on, on and on and on and on. Well, I just knew, and I told my wife, I said, I'm so glad convention is here. Somebody's gonna come with a word from the Lord. Nobody came with a word from the Lord. Night after night, we entertained in our suite. The, the heads of the world's biggest ministries are in the room. Anywhere from 7 to 16, 17 of them at once. And nobody is talking to Dale about Dale's issues. The whole thing ends on a Saturday about noon. Back here, and this is a big convention place, I go behind the stage. It was kind of the organization room. And there's drum cases and extra chairs and stuff, and music stands. I was back there by myself, all the crowd. I was alone. No one saw me. I went there to hide between a big set of drum cases and say, God, I think I'm disappointed in the people I invited to come here. He said, well, let me correct you. I sent them. <laughs> okay. But they're not talking much. And I'm complaining to the Lord. How many know Psalms tells us, bring your complaint? Not be a complainer, but if you do have a valid one, bring it. So I'm standing on the word. Glory to God. You said complain, and I'm here to complain. I was back there about an hour. The building is emptying out. They're tearing down the chairs. It's going into history really quick. There's nothing sadder than an auditorium that's had something big going on one hour after the fact. Okay. And I heard someone walk in, and they found me. It was a 16-year-old kid, a white kid with about 11-pound afro. He was out here. If he's still alive with that hair, he's getting chiropractic three times a week. <laughs> Big white afro. Holes in his jeans, sneakers with holes in them. An apostle with 10 pounds of hair in ripped jeans. 16-year-old kid from a little valley town near Sacramento. I'd never seen the guy before. He said, Brother Dale, excuse me, I'm sorry, I see you're praying, I, 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 but I can't leave here. And he's stumbling and fumbling unless I ask you to let me pray for you because... When I stepped into this convention three days ago, God spoke to me something about you and about your needs leading all that you're doing here. In fact, our bus is loaded. They're waiting for me. I've been walking around this place trying to find you. Somebody said the last time I saw him, he was walking towards the back. Maybe he's back there. That's how he found me. Got off the bus with his bus waiting to go back. Because as 
200 miles, 300 miles to go. He found me. He found me. 16-year-old kid. Listen, unless you're willing to humble yourself and receive spiritual information from babes in Christ, you won't get it. You just won't get it. And I said, pray away, man. The first 25 words out of his mouth was the exact precise answer to what I'd been praying about. Only my wife knew in God what was on my heart and the needs which you'd affect thousands of people. But God knew it. See, had I not said, no, you go get, I mean, you're, look at you, you don't have your doctorate yet, you, you, you go. Didn't take a person with a doctor's degree, and I have one of those, so I'm not dispelling it, but it didn't take a degree to get an answer from God. It took an open heart and an obedient young man. That young guy was Jesus to me that day. I cannot tell you how huge that matter was that needed solving. Just a few words out of the mouth of somebody that heard from heaven. And see, if I hadn't heard, I'd have been weak and broken and probably even lost my office. Let me tell you, we're out of time. I'm, so, I'm just so enjoying this, being here with you. I want to just tell you one more so you get an idea. When I was first a youth pastor, I worked in an ethnic Hungarian church. Some very righteous things about that church, especially food events. Wonderful. If you belong to a Hungarian church, or a Polish church, or a Lithuanian, you will grow in the Lord by membership, because everything is followed by food. It's wonderful when you're a young man, unmarried, to be in that environment, but you do grow exponentially. The Bible says in Proverbs, the blessing of the Lord maketh fat. I know the literal fulfillment of that. So in our church was a number of people that had been mightily blessed. You understand what I'm saying to you? It bent all those dinners. But behind one of them was this radical, old-fashioned, Pentecostal lady. She was from someplace like Peachtree Gap, Arkansas, or some, some little not holdable place, right? She's a radical Pentecostal. Now, if you're not Pentecostal, just laugh with us who've been around from excesses. And our youth service was on Friday, and she would come to that, and she had to give a message in tongues every time. And the first time I heard, oh, God, yes, oh, Lord, help us be what the sister said. But it was the same. The needle was stuck on the record. It just, and it was always, you know, Ichabod is coming on you and blah, blah, and you're stiff-necked and heart of heart. And the first time I thought it was, but then it just kept repeating. But this woman really ticked me off because she came to my youth service and did the same thing. Half our young people got saved. She scared the hell out of them and heaven into them. She just. I got sick with a growth this big on my back. My legs, I couldn't get one foot in front of the other. And one night, our young people were doing the whole service. I, so a couple friends picked me up and laid me down in the back row. At the end, I mean, I couldn't be seen like that. I mean, I'm, God, I'm, I'm the leader, and I'm God's man of faith and power. So I called these guys, and, and they came, and they stood me up in the doorway, so I'm against the, I can stand there. Because I can't walk. But, so everybody empties out. Something was going on in the car park. I think he was playing volleyball or something. And so all the young people, out they go, and guess who's left? 
grannies down here dancing to Old Rugged Cross. Now, I'd already been to the pastor, and I said, Pastor, I have a problem in the youth department. It's Granny Barnes. He said, well, what do you think the solution is? I said, well, she's 80 years old. And the Bible said it. I asked God to kill her. I said, Pastor, I'll do the funeral for free. I did. I won't even charge the family. I'll just send her packing. And he was a very wise pastor because he leaned back in his chair and he began to weep. I thought, that's not right. And finally, here's what he said. Yeah, I know she's out of order. I don't know how to handle her either, but I know this. You cannot correct her, and neither can I. So you can pray for her with tears and compassion. Until you're there, do not say a word of correction to her. I mean, easy. That's why he was the pastor and I wasn't. Now I'm standing in the doorway, not liking this woman. I'm saying, I'm not praying for God to bless her. Oh, Lord, please. If you, if you want to take me, I'll go. Take me now. <laughs> She's still coming. Let her trip, Lord. Let her, let her. <laughs> I'm so glad God doesn't answer silly stuff. When she got to me, she put her shaky little hand on my chest, little tiny lady. And she said, Brother Dale, the Lord's going to heal your back starting right now. You're going to feel fiery heat down in your lower back, and you will never have this problem again in your life. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. A real Pentecostal never needed a chiropractor. And she went dancing out of the building. That was on Friday night. Saturday morning, that fist-sized growth as big as a quarter. I had no pain, and I could walk. Sunday morning, I'm free. What will you then say about Granny? When the very thing you despised or thought she's uneligible, ineligible because of her crazy behavior, because we said, oh, we believe in the power of the Spirit, but there wasn't any place in our church for the Spirit of God to work. We finally invited her to our prayer teams. I took her to hospitals. Because, you know, if I had a headache to deal with, Lord, let your will be done. Cancer, well, have a good journey over God. Let him die without pain. Not granny, you demon. I mean, she was old, no lust, no man would chase her. The devil had been afraid of her for the last 40 years. We had more people healed in the next year, and I, I left that fellowship to go to another place after. Sunday mornings is one of the most wonderful. It wasn't noisy, you know. Just She just had the faith the rest of us didn't have. Some would have been weak and sick and died had we not recognized what was in Granny. And the way to get over any weakness that may be in this church and most diseases is find out where the healing is and turn it loose. Find out who has wisdom, who has the gift of giving. Because that's, what, that's what's in this that we just read today. Give us tomorrow. He's looked after us till now. Can you say amen? Sorry it took so long. Whoever's going to do next to come. Father, I pray this word in Jesus' name. We'll go all the way to the depths of our souls and our minds and grip us with it that there's power in this house that's not yet been released.
There's gifts in this house that have not yet agitated to life, activated to demonstration of power in the spirit. Bring some of tomorrow into today in this church because we love you, Jesus. And however you praise God, would you say thank you to Jesus for his word? Go ahead.